You are listening to the San Antonio Zen Center Dharma Talks. The San Antonio Zen Center is supported solely by donation, so that everyone can participate in our offerings and programs, regardless of income. If you are able, please consider making a donation to SAZC through the donation button on our site, sanantoniozen.org, or by visiting paypal.me slash sanantoniozen. Thank you for your practice and enjoy the talk. Oh, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. I would like to welcome Toro Antonaccio. He's the Tanto, the head of practice at Austin Zen Center. Um, perhaps barely missed each other at San Francisco Zen Center. But she does have a connection to San Antonio Zen Center, which is she practiced with Ruben Keller at uh, Chapel Hill Zen Center. So, um, retired academic and now a newly transmitted Zen teacher. So we, we are we're lucky to have one of, one of our first talks since uh, taking on um, this new role. Okay. Welcome, Charles. Thank you so much. And feel free to adjust that computer screen how you need to. I think I have the sound turned off. Um, I'd really like to thank uh, Colin the Reverend Gibson uh, for inviting me to offer a talk today and also my husband the Reverend Tracy for making the trip with me uh, to San Antonio um, and I thank you all for being here and I'm I'm really grateful to have the chance to visit this temple. It's, you know, it's one of, as you all know, it's one of the three in Texas in our lineage of Zen through Suzuki Roshi and the Zen Francisco Zen Center. And that is kind of inconceivable, I think, to have three temples within driving distance of each other in this state right in the middle of everything in the United States. So when I moved to um, Austin two years ago, frankly, one of the things that encouraged me to make the move from North Carolina was knowing that there were there was a sort of small network of centers in our in that would be kind of affiliated <laughs> connected with uh, San Francisco Zen Center so thank you very much for being here and for your practice um, so my topic today broadly speaking is vow can you hear me with the mask on? Are you able you can to hear take me? It off if you want. I might do that just if you don't mind. <laughs> I think Gerald would appreciate it. Okay, yeah. yeah. We usually have the speakers take their masks yeah. on, so it's easier for me to. So I want to talk about vow. And um, I want to focus on uh, a vow uh, that is, in the words of Dogen, whom you all know is the founder of our Japanese Soto school of Zen, who lived in the 13th century. Um, almost 800 years ago now. So I'm going to quote the first words of this vow. <clears throat> we vow with all beings from this life on throughout countless lives to hear the true Dharma, that upon hearing it, no doubt will arise in us, nor will we lack in faith. 
that upon meeting it, we shall renounce worldly affairs and maintain the Buddha Dharma. And that in doing so, the great earth and all living beings together will attain the Buddha way. So this is the first line of a text that is usually titled the Ehe Koso Hotsuganmon. And I, I looked it up on your website. It's in your sutra book where it's titled, I think, Returning to the Buddha Way. And I, a title I like actually and a little more friendly than Ehe Koso Hotsuganmon. Um, <clears throat> I hope then it's familiar at least to some of you, uh, but I'll be quoting it extensively. Uh, so if it's not, you'll hear what it says. Um, it's chanted at the San Francisco Zen Center and at some affiliated temples and centers, you know, either as part of a regular chanting service, which we do in Austin, um, or before lecture. So instead of the short verse that we just did, this entire single space page uh, is sometimes chanted. Um, <clears throat> and Houston also chants it fairly frequently. So our little network <laughs> is circulating. And I always loved this chant um, from the first time I encountered it. You know, one single space page, I set out to memorize it um, because I loved it. I wanted to be able to just chant it. And to me, it's very inspirational and encouraging. Even that first line that I just read you, you know, uh, we're just like the great earth and all living beings, right? It's very, it's a kind of exhortation to practice. And it kind of engendered a sense of trust in me in the practice um, to, you know, return to or resume the Buddha way, the way that we're already on. Um, and it, then it just turned out to be the case that as part of my Dharma transmission that Colin referred to, uh, my teacher Galen Godwin at Houston uh, asked me to make this part of my daily personal service to chant this chant as the first thing I chanted myself when I was doing my own service at home. So there's this karma about this particular text for me. Um, and before I go into the text itself, I wanted to just share a little bit of context, which is I've unearthed um, in investigating this text. Um, this, is, this is not anything esoteric or secret. It's actually an excerpt, the one page, from uh, the Shobogenzo, which is Dogen's collected teachings. It's two volumes, big fat volumes sitting on a shelf. Um, and it's from a chapter that's called Valley Sounds and Mountain Colors. And that chapter is a Dharma talk that Dogen gave to his monks in the year 1240. So it's part of a, it's an excerpt from a Dharma talk. And that's a fairly early talk for Dogen. 1240, he was 40 years old and establishing his monastic community. Um, and at some point, and, and I've asked a number of venerable teachers about this and nobody seems to know. At some point, the idea came to someone to turn part of this chapter, which is fairly lengthy into a chant, into a, like a sutra, which is what we're chanting, and to call it the Ehe Koso Hotsuganmon. And there are some who think this was done during Dogen's lifetime as a way of creating this kind of inspirational uh, verse or verses, and others say that it was done later after his death. And I'll say a little bit more about that in a moment. One translation of the title, the, the Japanese title, that we chant um, is great ancestor Ehei Dogen's words or verses for arousing the vow 
right? So Ehe means eternal peace. It's the name of the mountain where Dogen established his training monastery. And that monastery is called Ahag, right? So the, the abbot, the founding abbot, the mountain, the temple all share this name. So it's something like Zen master Dogen. Um, but Dogen also received a different honorary title after his death, which is Koso Joyo Daishi. Right? This is a highfalutin title, high ancestor, bright inheritance, great teacher. That's what that means. So the title of the text calls him Ehe Koso, great or high ancestor Dogen. So really putting him out there is like the words of this, of our founder, the great Dogen, whom we revere. Then the word hotsu, which means to arouse or to give rise to, or to bring forth. And then ganmon is a written vow. This turns out to be an actual form of writing um, that Zen teachers um, going back to, to ancient China way before Dogen actually engaged in. So we might translate, literally translate the title as high ancestor Dogen's aspiration vow. So a ganmon, this, this sort of vow, um, can also be, as I said, a standard form of writing and teaching, like the regulations for a monastery that Dogen wrote. He was not the only one to write those, or instructions for zazen. You're probably familiar with the Fukan Zazengi. Lots of teachers wrote this thing called Zazengi, right? And Dogen wrote his. So he was intentional about some engaging with some of these forms of traditional teaching writing. Um, and we do have one such ganmon vow text that was written as such, and it's earlier than Dogen, and it was just translated by Kokyo Henkel, who was just here recently. Um, and this text is called the Yoka Shinkaku Zenji Hotsu Ganmon. This, this teacher named Yoka Shinkaku's verse for arising the vow. He's a Dharma heir of the sixth Chinese ancestor, Daikon Eno, who is important in our lineage. And he lived from 665 to 713. So 500 years before Dogen, there was this kind of ganmon, this kind of vow poem written by him. And his poem, Genkaku or Shinkaku is the way the Chinese say it. It's much longer than our Dogen text. It's like four single space pages. It goes on and on and on and on with this very extended vow, like through all lifetimes, through all time, I will, you know, my vow is to practice and benefit other beings. It's kind of different in flavor, um, <clears throat> not just longer, but a little different in emphasis. But one um, essential element that's, that's shared is this idea of the endlessness of practice, the beginninglessness and endlessness of practice and how we just vow to continue and continue and continue. So I wanna repeat the first line of Dogen's vow and then go on from there. <clears throat> he says, we vow with all beings from this life on throughout countless lives to hear the true Dharma that upon hearing it, no doubt will arise in us, nor will we lack in faith that upon meeting it, we shall renounce worldly affairs and maintain the Buddha Dharma. And that in doing so, the great earth and all living beings together will attain the Buddha way. So right in this very first long sentence, it's, it's like a paragraph, but one sentence, there are three things that he brings up that I just wanna to point to. 
The first is vow. We vow. Not just I vow, but we vow. And then the related uh, words of doubt and faith. Then the idea of countless lives. And finally, the notion of renouncing worldly affairs. So, you know, I want to just speak about the English word vow. When we vow something, we make a promise. And to me, the feeling of a vow is like really serious. Not just a promise, but, but like a, something that's taken to a different level. Like when we say, you know, marriage vows or ordination vows, right? This is like heavy. <laughs> we mean these promises to last all our lives. At least that's supposed to be our intention. And we have witnesses to these vows, right? When you get married, you, there are at least a couple of witnesses, even if you want to keep it <laughs> kind of, you know, simple. You have to have some witnesses. There are documents about these kinds of vows, and there are consequences to breaking the vows. Um, and, you know, actually the word devotion, which I think has a different flavor in English, is related to vow. You know, it means to act out of a vow. But together with that feeling of a solemn promise is, you know, the feeling that we really intend not to mess up and we intend to act from the place of that vow. Um, Sojin Mel Weitzman, who is also important in your, in your lineage here, um, our Dharma lineage ancestor who just died last year, he said that breaking a vow to us sometimes feels like failure, right? I messed up. But Sojin suggested that maybe we should think of vow as more like intention. An intention that we nurture inside us is what he suggested. So if we do make a mistake, if we break our vow intentionally or unintentionally, we find that we've lost our way. We just return to our intention and keep trying. And this removes feelings of guilt or condemnation when we stray from the vow. You know, it's not that it's nothing to forget or break our vow. But as Suzuki Roshi said, it's better to keep the precepts and break them than not to vow at all. So we can maybe lighten up a little bit <laughs> on our sense of like, you know, failure if we break our vow. And I think that's important to being able to continue practicing. So we vow with all beings, not by ourselves. All beings are witnesses and all beings are at stake in our vows. And Dogen returns to all beings at the end of the sentence too. You know, all beings means we have lots of company in our intention. And it's not just other people either. It's all beings. And although we're doing this, we're doing this vowing now in the present, we vow for countless lives. You know, and this idea of countless lives, you know, often it opens up big questions for people about things that I have, do not want to go into, <laughs> although you may ask me about them, but I won't be able to probably satisfy you, but things like rebirth, reincarnation. But I don't think we have to dive into those questions to understand or to, to feel the sense of vastness of unending intention and intention to practice and realize the way that is limitless, that's not confined in any way. Our intention to practice right now really has no beginning and no end. And the effects of our practice extend beyond what we usually think of as my life, right? And I'll return to this a little bit later. Next, Dogen states the aspiration that we will have no doubt and we will have faith. 
you know, and I don't think this means that we're not supposed to have questions or sometimes even to wonder like, why am I doing this? <laughs> At the same time that we, you know, want to think that we're doing this lifetime after lifetime. And it, you know, it, it is, as I just said, bowing with all beings, but sometimes, you know, we just have to think, why am I doing this? To have faith is to have faith or confidence in the, in maybe the efficacy or the power of the teachings and a practice. Rather than to block questions, I think it implies trust and it is to persevere. That's what faith is to me. And I think this is because for Dogen, practice is enlightenment. And one moment of practice is the entire universe in the 10 directions and the three times, right? So even one moment really is all moments and all times and places. And, you know, Sojin, to quote him again, um, talking about another early Dogen chapter from the show of Bogenzo, and this one is the, the Genjo Kawan, which is actualizing the fundamental point. Sojin says, this is the advantage of practice. You can actually practice and experience enlightenment without understanding or knowing anything about it. <laughs> so it's wonderful that we can do this, says Sojin. All we have to do is just step in. If you want to know how to swim and get to the other side of the ocean, there is no way you can figure it out. You just step in and start swimming. Right? To completely be right where you are on the spot in any activity is finding your place. This is actualizing the fundamental point. Right? That's what Sojin says. And I think although this is not about the fascicle that we're talking about, it's very closely related. So this vow and faith, when we hear and meet the true Dharma, leads us to renounce worldly affairs. And this is another sticking point for really most of us. What is renunciation for all of us uh, who are not living in a monastery <laughs> or not living any longer in a monastery? You know, like, can we actually do this or are we already out of luck in the first sentence, right? Do we have to be renunciate monks to make this happen? So, you know, originally Dogen had lay people following him, but later in his life, he withdrew with his monks to the mountains. And he did emphasize monastic practice in part because of, you know, various political difficulties, jealous rivals, but also because he really came to think that being a monk was the most effective way to practice, you know, to be really totally focused on practice, on the practice schedule and without distraction. But he early on wrote this guide to Zazen, which I mentioned a while ago, called the Fukan Zazengi, the recommendation <clears throat> of sitting for all people. And in this teaching, he speaks of sitting as realization. He wanted everyone to practice sitting, not just monks. So renunciation for us can always be practiced by remaining with our present experience, moment by moment, and not only on the cushion, but at other times, you know, like right now, we can always ask ourselves, where am I? You know, how is my breath? Where are my hands? Am I upright? Can I feel my feet or my seat? Um, renounce everything else without pushing it away. Include it as it arises and just practice continuity. You know, my teacher in North Carolina used to say, when you are walking, be completely walking. Just do whatever you are doing without anything extra. 
And we can all do this. You don't have to be a homeless, penniless monk to renounce worldly affairs like this. Not chasing after fame, status, etc. actually can be practiced by monks as well as by lay people too. So then Dogen circles back to all beings. We do not attain the Buddha way by ourselves any more than we vow by ourselves. The great earth and all living beings together attain the Buddha way. And the rest of the essay that this text is drawn from basically supports this opening statement. You know, elsewhere in it, Dogen quotes an earlier master responding to a disciple. And that is to say, I'm talking about the whole of the mountains and water sutra. The student says, how do you turn mountains, rivers, and the great earth into the self? The teacher responded, how do you turn the self into mountains, rivers, and the great earth? It's this totally reciprocal understanding and relationship. Is it you who are awakened in the mountains, or are the mountains awakened? And is there really a difference? You know, Shakyamuni Buddha simultaneously woke up with the morning star. This is waking up to one seamless reality, right? us and all beings. So Dogen goes on, although our past evil karma has greatly accumulated, indeed being the cause and condition of obstacles in practicing the way, may all Buddhas and ancestors who have attained the Buddha way be compassionate to us and free us from karmic effects allowing us to practice the way without hindrance. So in this uh, next sentence in the, in the A.A. Koso Hatsuganman, there is this word evil, right? Evil karma. And this is a chosen translation for this word. And it may not be such a great translation, again, because of the burden of the word evil for us. Although, you know, the references to evil karma are out there <laughs> in Zen. Evil sounds like something you want to stay away from, right? Again, it's like rejecting, pushing away, or something that can't be redeemed, right? We talk, we, we don't like even saying people we really, really have strong disagreements with are evil, or that some action is evil. We really reserve that kind of um, label, you know, for like the worst possible crimes. The word in Japanese for here in this text is aku. And Doga also has a fascicle, also written in 1240, the same year, called Shoaku Makusa, Refrain from Evil, it's the way that that's usually translated, in which he comments extensively on an early text that says, to become Buddha, refrain, this you probably heard this, refrain, it's easy, right? Refrain from all evil, practice what is good, purify your intentions, this is the teaching of all Buddhas. So if you can do those three things, there you are. But I would still rather say something like unfortunate karma or unwholesome karma, right? Like not in accord with wholeness, not in accord with reality, the seamless reality that we are not separate from. Karma that arises from actions that we take when we are not in accord with the way things really are. But I think as you probably all know, karma is really neither good <clears throat> nor bad. It is just the results of intentional action, manifesting. It is not really even a completely individual thing. The results of many intentional actions are part of the causes and conditions that bring us into being and co-create <clears throat> our circumstances. You know, it's not so personal 
as we often think it is when we say stuff like my karma. Anyway, the results of past intentional action may cause obstacles for us, but without them, many of us wouldn't ever come to practice. If you are living in a completely heavenly realm, like the divas or gods, you'd have no opportunity to practice. But we have the Buddhas and ancestors to help us. Their compassion, which goes hand in hand with their wisdom, can free us from karmic effects, but they don't absolve us. Their teaching can lead us to that leap of faith that Dogen speaks of in the first sentence, when we hear the true Dharma, hard to find, and evil karma or not, we have no doubt, and we do not lack in faith. And this compassion of the Buddhas fills the boundless universe, right? The sound, the, the, the sense of vastness comes through here again. So now we come to what is probably my favorite sentence in this text, which is revering Buddhas and ancestors, we are one Buddha and one ancestor. Awakening Bodhi mind, we are one Bodhi mind. And for me, when, the, when I have the most doubt, about practice, about difficulties in practice, difficulties in uh, Sangha, my own difficulties, my person, my so-called personal difficulties, this is what I try to remember. You know, Bodhi mind is wisdom mind, awakened mind, the mind of the way. The word Bodhi and the word Buddha share the same root in Sanskrit, that of awakening or being awake. Buddha is the awakened one. So this sentence is pointing at non-duality. We are the ancestors. They're not somebody else. They're not in the past. And not only are we not separate from each other, as we usually think, we are one ancestor, all of us. We are one Buddha. And then Dogen uh, quotes an earlier Chinese master, Lunya, and offers another confident and you know, uh, inspiring statement which speaks again about time, not future lives, but past lives. Those who in past lives, he says, were not enlightened will now be enlightened, evil karma or not. <laughs> in this life, save the body, which is the fruit of many lives. Before Buddhas were enlightened, they were the same as we, and enlightened people of today are exactly as those of old. So this lunya, lived 400 years before Dogen and was a Dharma heir of Dungshan, another of our important ancestors in Soto Zen. In fact, or he's called Tozan Ryokai in Japanese. And he wrote the Song of the Jewel Mirror Samadhi, which some of you may know. He's the, in many ways, the founder of Soto Zen in China. Anyway, these words, again, point to our unity with the ancestors. They were like us, we can be like them. Actually, it's like a prediction. We will be like them. And in a more recent translation by Kaz Tanahashi, he says, if you did not attain enlightenment in the past, do so now, right? Confidence, do it now. And this confident prediction is an important feature of Soto Zen and the subject of another chapter of Dogen's called Juki, giving prediction. And then we have this important exhortation, which is I get older <laughs> and more things go wrong, uh, really also inspires me. Save the body, which is the fruit of many lives, right? It's, it's precious. To be a human being is precious. And Kaz now, uh, Kaz Tanahashi um, now translates, liberate this body 
that is the culmination of many lifetimes. And you know, I don't think we necessarily need to understand this personally, although I take it personally sometimes as a kind of comfort. It's not necessarily just about our body that we individually have gained from former virtuous lives, but we can think of the vastness of life and time and all the creatures and worlds that ultimately lead to here and now and are still here, right? They're not somewhere else. So as I say, to be born human, this is frequently expressed, to be born human and able to practice is a rare and fortunate state, right? This is frequently expressed by our Zen ancestors. So we should remember that, our good fortune to be human and to meet the Dharma in this lifetime. So here, I just wanna briefly mention as I draw to a conclusion, um, the Ganmon of Gengkaku, this, five, this person, this ancestor who lived 500 years before Dogen and who, whose text we have. Dogen just explicitly invoked a Chinese ancestor of 400 years before. So he's very cognizant at least of the Chinese lineage. He went to China, as you know, to find the true Dharma and he brought it back to Japan. But I think although he quotes this Lungya, Genkaku, this other earlier teacher is lurking here. Um, and his wish, as I said, is to continue his practice lifetime after lifetime. And I just wanna quote a few lines from this newly translated text. He says, this is uh, Genkaku, with determined heart, giving rise to the, vo, to the vow, which is a hotsugan, a vow to practice unsurpassed Bodhi wisdom. I now resolve to give over this life to reach the completion of true awakening. In this very place, I completely resolve to diligently request without ceasing. And then he lists all the things like, may I not you know, fall into a hell realm? May I not become you know, sick, too old to practice, etc." And several pages into this, he finally says, may I give up a body and receive a body. So he's talking about continuing lifetime after lifetime. With all living beings, being the same as good friends, depending on valuing Buddha and hearing Dharma, a child of truth leaves home for the harmonious unity of the Sangha. Body after body's clothing, not other than the Kashaya robe, you know, this robe, the Rakasu, the practice, the putting on the practice. Honor, honoring the dignified three treasures, Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, uh, intimate and close with bright teachers. He doesn't mean smart. <laughs> he means, you know, clear. With deep trust in the true Dharma, diligently practicing the six paramitas, the six perfections, reading and reciting the Mahayana and practicing the way. So you get a sense of how these vows compare. The emphasis here again is on endless vow, endless practice for the benefit of all beings with deep trust. So we are coming to the end of Dogen's text. He says that this practice is the exact transmission of a verified Buddha, something that expresses one of his core teachings, which I already mentioned, practice and enlightenment are one and the same. We don't practice to become enlightened, practice is enlightenment. Or Put another way, we practice because we are already enlightened. We are already Buddha. There's nothing to get, nothing to attain. Anything we think we have realized, we let go of. And Suzuki Roshi said, 
this is going beyond form and emptiness. Emptiness is in this, once you go before beyond form and emptiness, emptiness is emptiness and form is form. Seems so simple. At the very end, Dogen turns to a key theme, which links to the first sentence mentions of faith and doubt. So this is the end. Quietly explore the farthest reaches of these causes and conditions as this practice is the exact transmission of a verified Buddha. Confessing and repenting in this way, one never fails to receive profound help from all Buddhas and ancestors. By revealing and disclosing our lack of faith and practice before the Buddha, we melt away the root of transgressions by the power of our confession and repentance. And his last sentence, which again, to me is one of the, the, my favorites. This is the pure and simple color of true practice of the true mind of faith, of the true body of faith. So for Dogen, repentance and vow go together. You know, repentance is another big topic. Um, maybe we could talk about it if you want to in, in Q&A. And there are different forms of confession and repentance in Zen, including formal ceremonies. But here, I think he's talking about the so-called formless repentance of Zazen. Zazen is sometimes called formless repentance. Right, Zazen, which is our primary practice and the root of everything in our, in our way. When we sit Zazen, we give up doing and we don't create karma if we really are just sitting. And that's why it's called formless repentance. And it's also renunciation, which Dogen spoke of earlier. So our lack of faith and practice then is when we lose our way or turn away from reality. It's the root of our transgressions or our unwholesome karma. It's our ignorance. And we melt the root of this lack of faith by practice itself. Um, one last quote from Dogen, a different, again, a different um, fascicle in the Shobogenzo, and this is called Gyoji. Um, and he says this, on the great road of Buddha ancestors, there is always unsurpassable practice continuous and sustained. It is the circle of the way and it is never cut off. Between aspiration, practice, enlightenment and nirvana, there is not a moment's gap. Continuous practice is the circle of the way. Right. So the way is continuous practice. We continuous, continually have to come back when we lose our way, just keep coming back. And so here again are the Buddha ancestors and their great road on which practice is a continuous circle. And in the circle of the way is like the succession of the ancestors itself in which we have our place. The succession of ancestors, you know, is represented in a chart like a family tree. Um, and there is also a way of presenting this lineage as a circle, not as a, a, a linear thing, but as a circle. Um, instead of one after the other, the ancestors form this ring of which we are a part, and all of the ancestors can see each other in this circle. And the circle, as you know in Zen, you know, right, the, the Enso, there's a break in the way it's usually written. I see it's, your, it's on your t-shirt. But a full circle has no before or after, no start or finish. It's continuous, and it can be entered at any point, right? So this is how continuous practices is seen, not just a line, but like that. One Buddha, one ancestor. 
the way is actualized here and now, and not in medieval Japan or Tang Dynasty China, <laughs> right? So Suzuki Roshi said, even though we don't know everything and don't even realize what we do realize, our practice is complete when we sit with a pure and non-discriminating mind. So you may not even know the complete meaning of your practice. Thank you very much. Hmm. Good morning again. Uh, we have Zazen instruction. We have Zazen instruction uh, at 1130. So uh, there won't be any tea today. Uh, and next Saturday, we have the half day sitting, 8.15 to noon. Uh, so there won't be tea next week either. And Dokan will be giving the talk next, next Saturday. Um, the annual meeting is on the 29th. Mm. So we'll have the normal, the normal Saturday program. Um, and the annual meeting will be the Dharma talk. So that will be at 10, at 10 a.m. or 10.15. We'll need time to set up, and we'll talk about um, what um, the state of San Antonio Zen Center both last year and and what our plans are <laughs> this year. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was the date? The 29th. That's the last Saturday of yes, sir. The last Saturday of this month, um, and we will, weather permitting, will and weather permitting will have a potluck. We'll. We'll make up for our not having a potluck for New Year's Eve, and uh, we'll we'll have a potluck, and we'll we'll all sit outside and um, break bread together. Um, that is it. Um, I guess maybe if we could put the zendo back uh, the way it was, um, and I'll get it. Figured out for for Sasan. I'm not sure this is coming. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm going to stop the recording and then we'll go upstairs. Okay. <clears throat>